I am Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and welcome to another edition of our speaker series, where we collect speakers from around the world and bring them to you here on this podcast. Today, we welcome Miss Betty from AA Solution Seekers. Thank you. My name is Betty McGray for Covenant Alcoholic, and I would like to thank God and the members of Alcoholics Anonymous for my sobriety right about now. I just want to say, the set-aside prayer, uh, you know, God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, you, God, and this program so I could have an open mind and have an open mind with all, and have an experience and open mind with all these things. Please help me see the truth. Thank you. I mean, my car, this guy will knock on my door. I tried for you right now. You know, I would um, tell you that uh, my sober date is October the 6th, 1989. That's my sober date. And I am um, uh, the oldest daughter of five, five people in my family. I have one sister, and I had three brothers. One of my brothers passed away, you know. He had cancer of the throat. He was the sec- He was the the one, the last one, not the last one, but he was next to the baby boy, you know, and he passed away, you know. So, I was brought up in a home where you know you had to go to school. School was very important. Education was very important in our uh, family. You know, they stressed that. They told us to go to school and get our education. Make sure we do that, and I did that. You know. And going to school and stuff like that at an early age and stuff like that, I just fell in love with playing with sports. I love sports because where I'm from in Louisiana, if you go into anybody's household, you would uh, the basketball game would be on, football game would be on, whatever kind of sport, all that stuff would be on, you know, if you were going to anybody's uh, home, you know. So we was great on sports, you know. So I played a lot of softball. And uh, I played basketball, too. And I remember uh, at an early age going, I was in uh, grade school, and I was playing basketball, and a bus would take us to the different schools that we were playing against. And I remember on the back of the bus, you know, the coach, Mr. Collins, he looked in the back of the bus to see what was happening because we were smoking on the bus. And I put my hands up, both my hands up, because I didn't want him to see me, because I know he was going to call and tell your parents, you know, what you was doing. So I put both my hands up so he could see that I have nothing in my hand. But that didn't work, because at the time, uh, I was staying with my grandmother, and uh, he had called home, and he had told her. And the next day when I came to school, she said, Mr. Collins called and told me that you was on the bus smoking. I said, I wasn't smoking. So she said, lay across the bed. So she said, tap, tap, tap. It hurt my feeling more than the belt hurt me because uh, that was my grandmother. I love my grandmother. You know? And growing up, I went to church. Church, you know, you had to go to church. So we went to church, and I loved church. I went to Sunday school and came home, went back, ate breakfast or whatever, went back. And I was singing the junior choir and going out and uh, partying and stuff like that. It, it, age, you know. I was in high school probably by then when I was doing drinking. I picked up my first drink at the age of 13. And when I picked up my drink at the age of 13, I began to drink. I had a cousin. 
she her name was Betty, and she had a car, and she would pick us up and take us to different spots and stuff. I remember her taking us to uh, this place called Mary was a bar, and we would take our allowance and put together and buy our beer. You know, at the time, you know, I was drinking beer, and then the hard stuff, uh, old crow, or old tail, or one of them. I can't remember what it was. But we were put together, me and another uh, a young lady, her name is Janice, you know, that I went to school with. And she played ball with me and stuff like that. And we would take our allowance and put our allowance together and buy hard liquor, you know. And then the guys would come, you know, and they would uh, buy us beer, you know. We, you could buy a quarter of beer there. And they would buy us the beer and stuff, and we would party like that. And then, you know, like, you come home, you know, you get ready for school and go to school. And Mrs. Williams was our basketball coach. And uh, she would make us run and touch that wall and run and touch the other wall because she wanted to see who had been out drinking. Of course, I never fell out, but some of them girls did, but I never fell out. <laughs> you know, I just kept going. So that's the kind of life I had as a kid, you know. And I was great in school. I had to always be on the honor roll when I was going to school. I had to always, I don't know why, but I had to always be first. Uh, I was short and stuff like that, so I was the first one in the class and stuff like that when we marched in the school when I was little. And I remember Mrs. Haney in the first grade, my first grade teacher, I was reading, it was a compound word, and I just couldn't get that word together. And she told me to move on, but I couldn't understand what she was talking about at the time. I was in the sixth grade, I think I was. And as I know it today, that was a resentment. So when the lady that took me to 164 pages told me about you had to uh, write people names down and put them on your resume list. I remember that. I said, oh, that's easy when she told me that. I said, it's easy to do, but I didn't know all the details of what it meant and stuff like that. But I remember her doing that, and I was embarrassed in front of the kids and stuff like that because I always had to be one. And when I got in high school, my aunt, which is my uh, mother, baby sister, she sort of grew up with us and stuff like that. And she went to college and stuff. I was in high school when she was in college. And I remember this lady here. She was a, a English teacher. And she was telling us something. And it wasn't right. It was wrong. And I told her, I said, no, that's not right. That's wrong. So the rest of the people in the class said, Betty, why you had to correct her? I, said, I don't know why, I had to, but I had to correct her because I knew it was wrong, you know, what she was teaching us. And I went home and I told my aunt. And she said, oh, yes, that was wrong. I don't know why. It's just that they always told us in my family to be the best. Whatever you do, always be the best. And I always thought I had to be perfect, you know. But I'm grateful today that I don't have to be perfect. When I walked in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, they told me that I didn't have to be perfect. We strive for perfection. The perfection, not perfect. You know, and I was grateful to hear that. And it took a load off of me, you know. And my drinking um, escalated as I began to drink and my father and mother uh they separated when i was you know at a younger age i guess i was uh, like 13 and stuff like that that's when i picked up the drink but my father he would work away from home he'd work on the uh, roads you know and he would work away from home so he would come home on the friday and uh when he came home on the friday my mom she didn't wait she was a stay home mom so when my dad came home on a Friday, you know, we had came from school. And when we came to school, there he was, you know. 
So he would, uh, uh, cause he called himself babysitting us or whatever. So he would gather us up and take us to the bar because he had to go to the bar himself. So he would take us to the bar. And I guess he called himself going, give my mom a break in mind. And he took us to the bar. And I remember in my hometown, they had gambling. And I remember as a kid, they used to let us uh, put the quarters in the slot machines down there and stuff like that. And we would play around and drink sodas and stuff, but they didn't give us no liquor then. But I remember, uh, you know, like uh, staying with my grandmother and stuff like that on the holidays, you know, Christmas, we had manicure wine. They would give us a little taste of that. And after I got grown, uh, not grown, I wasn't grown. I just uh, <laughs> got into drinking alcohol with my friends and stuff like that, you know. Uh, the money that we had and stuff like that. My grandfather on my dad's side, he had a candy store. And I remember going to this candy store and helping him out. I called myself going and helping him out. But I was stealing the candy and I bring, brought it home and shared it with my siblings, you know, because <laughs> he didn't pay us, you know. But I was working in the candy store with him. And he was a smart man. He couldn't even read it or write, really. But if you give him a $20 bill and you bought X amount of candy, different prices up. I'm trying to figure out with a pencil, and he would get it off the top of his head, and he would be right. So that's the gift that he had, you know. So I began to continue to drink like that, and when I uh, continue to drink like that, you know, I just kept on drinking and doing what I wanted to do, and I did graduate high school. I had a, a scholarship to go to college and stuff like that. I graduated, but my friends went to college and they called me and said, Betty, when you coming, when you coming? I said, I'm coming, I'm coming. I don't know where I got this bright idea that I should not go to college because I didn't want nobody to help to have to help pay for my school and stuff like that, even though my dad, he had a job working. But to me, he didn't take care of us the way he should have taken care of us. My mom, she went to Detroit to stay with her sister because I remember one night, I never forget, it was a Sunday night. She had went to church with my grandmother, and I was went with her. And when we came through the doka, we lived right across the street from my grandmother. And when she came in the house, I don't know what happened. He slapped my mom, I remember that. And, uh, you know, after that, then she left. And she left us, and we stayed with our grandmother, which was her mother, you know. So I remember that. And I just figured that I didn't want nobody in that side of the family. Nobody has to, you know, to take care of me and send me to college and stuff. When I got to New York, I went to college on my own. But anyway, that's what the kind of life that I was introduced to. And I began to just go to school and make good grades and do the best I can like they asked us to do. Because if you call yourself sick and you say you're sick in my family, you had to be sick. You had to stay in bed all day long. You couldn't get up and go outside and play. You couldn't look at TV and none of that stuff. You're going to be sick. So I love school. I love going to school, you know, and I love reading and stuff like that. So I just kept on doing that. So uh, at a point when I graduated and stuff like that, my mom asked me, she was in Detroit and she left Detroit and she came to New York. And she asked me, did I want to come to New York? And I said, yes, I'll come. So I came to New York. i never forget that. It was on a Sunday, and I took the train, and it was my 21st birthday. Because when I was home and back up a little while, when I, excuse me, when I got up and didn't go to college, I told my grandmother, you know, I went to find a job, and it's funny, though. I found a job, and this guy uh, took me, and he was looking for a job, and it was going to be in the hospital or working in the dietary department, and I worked in the dietary department to stay. And when I told her that I had got this job, and she said, well, how are you going to work and stuff? 
I said, this guy, he's going to take me to where he was singing in the junior choir with me at church. So she fooled around there, and it was time for me to go get to get my stuff together and go to work. She said, you don't have to go to work. You can stay home with me every day. So I did that, and I paid bills. She would let me go and pay the bills and do different things and stuff like that. So I guess I got tired of that. So when my mom asked me that I want to come to New York, I said, yes. So I came to New York, and when I came to New York, I remember I was going to the store to get me some beer because I wanted to watch the Mets game. And when I went to the store and got the beer and put it on the counter, the lady said, oh, no, no, you can't buy no beer here. We don't sell beer on Sundays. I said, what? I wasn't used to that because you could buy beer where I'm from anytime because you could go into the national food stores and get your licking stuff like that, you know. You could buy, just like you buy your groceries, you could buy your uh, alcohol and beer. beer. Beer is alcohol, you know, and your hard stuff. So I wasn't used to that. So when I came back home, I said, why you didn't tell me this? She said, I forgot to tell you. I said, okay, not a problem. So anyway, I began to find people like me that drink and work on the jobs that I had and stuff like that. I remember working at an idea toy factory not too far from my house. And I met these ladies there. And it was a bar right across the street from the job, the bad bar on Jamaica Avenue. And we would go in there and drink. And then we, because we could walk home and then we would stop maybe i would buy a bottle and take it to my house or they would get a bottle and go to their house and we would continue to drink and we did that for a while after that i looked for job i used to work at the world's fair too and i love that job because at the world's fair you was like your own boss because where i was working and stuff like that i was like on my own wasn't nobody checking on us to see whether we was doing our work or not so therefore i began to, you know, I could drink a lot of beer and stuff like that. Anyway, after that played out and stuff like that, I went, this guy, this lady that I used to drink with her brother-in-law, and his mother worked at the job that I'm working at today, and I went there to find the job. And I found this job, and the lady, you know, introduced me to the job and stuff like that, and she said, can you be at 6, 6.30 in the morning? I said, sure, I can. I didn't know how I was going to go to work and none of this stuff. And I began to <laughs> go to work on this job and stuff like that, where I'm working at today. And I found the same people because I used to play softball for a bar, a private bar in Jamaica. We set up a, best, a softball team playing for that uh, bar. And we were bold for that bar. And when I went on this job, we played softball for the hospital. And we also had a, a bowling team, too. And going to play softball and stuff like that, the administrators and stuff, they would come to our games. And after the game, they would take us out to a nice restaurant and feed us and let us drink much like we want. And we had a lot of fun, too. Now, with the bowling thing, they didn't come to the bowling alley with us on the job, but we would go. And I just was thinking about this the other day. I used to bowl, and I used to love bowling. And the secretary and our husband, they was on our team and stuff like that. And I remember throwing the ball down you know, bowling, and I would have to take my right arm to balance myself, and I go all the way down to the floor. And I just thought about it, how humiliating that was to them and to myself, too. I did that. I was so, uh, <laughs> you know, I used to get so messed up drinking like that, trying to bowl and stuff like that. But we had a good team, and we came in first place sometimes. Sometimes we didn't, but anyway, I had a lot of fun. And then another job at the ball. You know, I would bowl, too, and everybody there drank anyway, too. So we had a big party. 
and drinking and doing all this stuff, you know. And I was a supervisor on the job, and we had a colonel, Colonel Charles, on the job, and he wanted to support somebody in college and pay for the college education. So the boss picked me to do that. So I went to college and paid for my education, whatever. So anyway, I was part of management. And I would have to go to work, and I would have to cover these people when they called me and stuff. And I used to get so sick and tired of people calling me and stuff like that. And I would go, and I had to replace these. Before I replaced the people that called in, I had to go to the boys' locker room. This guy named Ben God bless him. He passed away. He had a liquor store in his locker, and he would sell hard liquor, and he would sell beer. So I would have to go in and sit in there and get me a cold Heineken beer before I could call anybody in to work. And that's how my day went. And I would uh, walk around in the kitchen and where we put our butter to keep it cold on the ice and stuff like that. I would put my beer down there and I would pour it into a, a cup, you know, a coffee cup. So I put it down there. I remember the boss one day coming in and she said, what is this? I said, it's not uh, apple juice. And she didn't bother me anymore when I told her it was apple juice, but it was a beer I was drinking them. And I rem you know, I did drink on the job. And we used to have parties on the job when it's Christmas time. In our department, we would have the biggest party. And everybody would love to come to our party. And right down the street, people from down the street would come. They weren't invited, but they would come. But we didn't say anything. And the administrators, they gave us all the liquor. And people would cook collard greens, fried chicken. And we had all kind of food and stuff like that. And we just had a lot of fun. And they would come in there and... uh drank the liquor and we parted. I remember one guy, he passed away too. He would uh he fought his wife and he would he put on the skid, you know, like when you bring the groceries in. He had knocked out and put on the skid and bring me in the hospital. And from that day on we never had another party. <laughs> that was the end of our Christmas parties on the job like that, you know. But the hospital it has grown now. So we have parties and we go out to different places now. But anyway, we just had a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun. And I remember, like, um, taking people to work, you know, carpooling. I would pick people up to take them to work. And I would have to stop at the bodega and get me a beer and stuff. Because I was up all night long. I remember this girl, Cheryl. She told me, she said, Betty, won't you wake up? Wake up. Because I would fall asleep while I was driving. I'm just grateful that I'm still here. And I didn't kill nobody. I killed myself or killed them driving the way drunk. I would just leave from the job and I would drink on the premises of the hospital. The chef was, we always, we put our money together and somehow would go up the hill to the liquor store to buy some liquor and we would sit on the counter and drink. And then we would go back off our break until it was time for us to go home. And then I would come and go to my favorite bar, the one that I played softball for, a private bar, rather. And I would meet my friends. I would drink with the people from the post office. I would drink with the people from the um, transit authority, other people that are working the city secretaries or whatever. We all would gather at the bar. So we would drink then. I used to get off at 2.30. So at 2.30 when I got off, I would come and underneath, the, they call it the wine tree. But we didn't drink the wine. But they would call it the wine tree of 177th Street in Bricktown, and I would park my car there, and these ladies, they was older than me, they would wait for me to come. And you know, if you don't know anything about playing numbers and stuff, they would be up there playing in numbers and stuff, and they would drink, and they would sit in my car. I had the car for them to sit in so they could play the numbers and drink, and I would drink with them. 
And then when the last number go in, they will go home. And then I will go to my house and change my clothes and get ready to go to my favorite body and meet my special friends. And I would do that. I did this daily. I went to the bar and I drank this. And uh, the barmaid, you know, we would drink and then we'd go downstairs and do the mother little things, smoke them cigarettes and stuff like that. And then we would come back up and still drink. And then the barmaid, she would uh, write your name on your, uh, she would have a list to write my name. So just say like I might have three shots of white label. I might have four or five bottles of Heineken. And the next day we would just start all over again. And that's how my life was. I just drank like that in the bar and stuff like that and had a lot of fun. And then I got a part-time job at the post office in the city. I worked at the post office in the city, the big post office in the city. I worked in that post office. And I would be so tired and I would go to sleep. And the conductor would have to, when I got to 31st Street, the conductor would have to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, Miss, Miss, you had to stop. Then I would go to the post office. As I entered the post office, Somebody would be coming up step with a fifth of liquor in one hand and a cup in the other hand. <laughs> and that's when I went in there. And I had friends that I worked with that worked in the post office that would ride the subway with me at home. And one they, they had a full-time job. I had a part-time job. So when she got her break, she would say, Ben, it's time to go. Let's go. So I would get, uh, she'll call me and I'll go across the street because it was a bar rack up across the street from the post office. And we are going in and drink. And this guy did the same thing. If we didn't drink all our liquor, he'll put a napkin over our glass and put our names on it. So when we got off from the post office, we'll go back over there and finish the drink. And that's how I did. I just drank like that, continue to drink and have a party. So I would get into trouble. One day the boss called me into the office and she said, Betty, I've been watching you drinking drugs for the last couple of years. You need to take care of yourself. So I was in denial. I told her, I ain't got no problem. Ain't nothing wrong with me. She said, okay, so she left me alone. Then she called me in the office one day, and she asked me to take this lady to um AA meeting. So I had two nephews that was going to AA, so I called them, and they told me where to go. And I took this lady to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and it was a small meeting. Maybe they might have had 10 to 15 people in the meeting. I can't remember. But anyway, I remember that. And when they got around, everybody was sharing stuff like that. I didn't know what to expect. So when they got to me, they said, Miss, what about you? I said, I ain't got no problem. I'm with her. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm with her. So therefore, I guess the boss was trying to show me some kind of way, trying to get me into alcohol in some kind of way, because I used to party. And my daughter, when she had barbecues, and me and my sister-in-law, we had barbecues, and we would invite people uh, on Saturdays at 3 o'clock, and the party wouldn't get over with it until Sunday, about maybe 3 o'clock. We would play cards and barbecues and stuff like that and drink. And a lot of people used to tell me, better if you can't have on the liquor, you need to leave it alone. I said, hey, sh nobody to buy me no liquor. I didn't ask none of y'all to buy me no liquor. I buy my own liquor because I will not go into the bar without having my own money to buy my own alcohol because I didn't want nobody to say they had to buy me no liquor. That's how my thinking was, you know. So anyway, I just kept on drinking and stuff. So, you know, in the wintertime, we would, uh, when it was snow time, we would have to stay over at the hospital, you know, to make sure that we was there so we can feed the patient and stuff like that. And they would provide us with beds and stuff, you know. And you know to bring your uh, stuff into it and keep in your locker, you know, your deodorant and all the stuff that you need, you know. So my boss one time, she begged me not to go 
up here with my friend because that's who I just drank and party with all night. She said, better don't go up there. Just stay here, please, and do what you're supposed to do. But I couldn't listen at all. I had to do what I had to do. I had to go up there and continue to party and stuff. So I just got in trouble. And when she called me in the office the second time, you know, she just told me again. And she, I see she was trying to help me, you know, and she did help me a lot, tremendously. So I asked her one day, I said, can I come to work a little late because I had to go check on my car. I had to put my car in the shop and I had borrowed my sister's car. And she said, yeah, sure. Make sure you come to work after this. So I said, okay. And I did not. I just kept hanging out there. When I went and checked on my car, I just came back and I just kept drinking and doing other things and partying and carrying on. So I said, wow, I'll never forget it. It was a Friday. So I said, wow. So Saturday morning, I said, let me call him and tell her, explain to her why I couldn't come to work. So when I called the job, brother, before I did that, uh, one of the assistants picked up the phone and she said, Ernest said, if you don't come to work, she don't want to see you until you get your life together. That's the where exactly words what she said. So I had to, you know, I didn't go to work because I know if I went to work, she going to know I was messed up. So I didn't go to work. The next day when I woke up, I said, let me call and explain to her why I couldn't come to work. But I picked up the phone and called her and she was at work doing my job. I was supposed to be doing the work schedule, excuse me, for the employees, but I couldn't even do that. And the schedule should have been up on the wall, but I just didn't do that, you know. So, therefore, I thought about it, and I said, wow. So, she said she didn't want to see me until I got myself together. So, I went to work, and the secretary was there, and I was so embarrassed, humiliated and stuff. And I waited and waited and waited, and they said, she said she didn't want to see you. She was up the hill at the nurse's home up there because she had to cover where we work at, you know, up the nurse's home. And I used to help her with all those different jobs and stuff like that. So I just went home and uh, I was told to call the EAP and I called the EAP and the EAP told me that I could go to any rehab wherever I wanted to go, you know, to get some help. So I took her suggestion, but it was upstate New York where um, they would send a car down to pick you up. And uh, I told my sister, I said, well, I can't go to that rehab until I buy some, until I get some brand new sneakers. She said, you don't need no sneakers. Just go. I said, no, I need some figures. So she bought them anyway. So therefore, that's the condition. I went to the rehab. And I went to that rehab. And in that rehab, they told me that it's the first drink that would get me drunk. If I didn't pick up that first drink, I didn't have to worry about anything. And they had consoles and they had therapists and stuff like that. And even there, I was being slick because I was so tired and stuff like that. One time, you know, you had to go to a uh, meeting and stuff like that. And I went to the meeting. I sat down for about 10 minutes and listened at what they had to say. And then I went back to my room and tried to sleep, but I just couldn't sleep. So I had to see the uh, the head lady, sister, and uh, sister Mary. And she said, Betty, what did they talk about in the meeting? So I told her what I heard. She didn't say anything. God, I'm sure she knew I wasn't there. She knew I was a liar and I wasn't there. I'm sure she knew that. But anyway, I didn't participate like I should have because I didn't know how to talk about myself. I would talk about everybody else, but I couldn't talk about myself. And I stayed at that rehab. And whilst I was in that rehab, my father passed away. And my boss and the EAP came to this rehab because they wanted to see what type of rehab it was. So when they came to visit the rehab, I got a ride down, back down with them. 
And uh, they took me out to dinner to eat and stuff like that. And I told them, I said, you don't have to never worry about me picking up no drink no more. I learned my lesson. That's what I told them. So therefore, we went out to eat and stuff like that. And uh, when I came down, they told me to make a meeting. So I remember before I went to New Orleans, my sister had made a reservation for us to go to New Orleans to my dad's funeral. So I went to this group, today's group. That's the group I remember going to. And I raised my hand and I told them what was happening. They said, okay, when you get to Louisiana, make sure you go to a meeting and stuff. And I went to Louisiana to bury my father. And when I got down there, you know, like um, everybody offered me stuff because they know the family. And they, when you go home, they treat you and stuff like that. You don't have to spend no money. They always take care because they'd be glad to see you. But anyway, I said, no, I don't live that way anymore. So I came back. And I came back to that rehab. And when I came back to that rehab, um, somebody asked me, why you came back to the rehab? I said, because I've got to come back to do my 28 days. I know I had to do that. So therefore, I just came back to the rehab. And when I got out of that rehab, uh, they told me to get a sponsor, join a home group, make meetings, you know, and get involved in this program. So I called myself doing this. I know what I did. I did get a sponsor. I joined Jamaica Presentation because I could walk to the meeting, and uh, I did everything that I called myself doing, everything they suggested that I do, but I guess I didn't hear one thing. I didn't hear stay away from people, places, and things. So therefore, I was around these guys, this guy that I used to get high with, and we drank and stuff like that. And I'm doing all this craziness stuff, you know. And I just couldn't get it together. You know, I picked, I didn't pick up the drink. That's one thing I didn't do because I heard, don't pick up that drink in rehab. I heard that, but I didn't hear the other stuff. I didn't pick up the drink. So I called my sponsor and it was just getting bad and I just couldn't handle it. And I called my sponsor and I told my sponsor what happened. And my sponsor told me, better go back into the meeting, raise your hand and let them know that you're just coming back. And I did that. And she said, get honest with yourself. And I didn't know what she was talking about. She said, Betty, when I tell you to get honest with yourself, I mean, look at the drink and get honest and see what the drink did to you. And I couldn't understand it, you know, anyway. But I was still a little foggy anyway. But I did that. And it, when I did that, it's just that I just couldn't get it together. So I called my EAP. And my job allowed me to go back to the rehab for the second time. And I'm grateful that they did because... If uh, I hadn't went back for the second time, I guess I wouldn't be where I'm at today. You know, like, because when I went the first time, I just went to get the job off my back and my family and everybody off my back. But the second time, I went for bed. And I did what you guys suggested. When I went to the rehab, I got honest and I started talking about myself and I started sharing and stuff like that. And I, people came in and told their stories. And when uh, it was a man that came in and he shared his story, he said he was a millionaire. And he had picked up a drink and he was doing other things. He went into coma. So that caught my eye. Something went off and clicked in my head. I said, oh, wow, I better stop doing what I'm doing. And when I got out of rehab, I began to make meetings. And I made a lot of meetings, you know. And I began to sit up front because where I came from, uh, the place where I came from, you go into the meeting, they told you to get your coffee, go to the bathroom, sit down, pay attention, and look the speaker in the mouth and pay attention. And I did that and try to grasp some of this stuff. But at first, they would only allow us to raise our hand and say, my name is better, I'm an alcoholic. They say, if we want to know how to drink, we'll ask you. But you ain't going to come. <laughs> you need to learn how to 
put the drink down and keep it down. And I had to learn how to do that. And I began to make a lot of meetings, you know. And I did make a lot of meetings. And I got that sponsor. And that sponsor told me when I went to that rehab and called her for the second time, she said, Betty, you got to get honest and you got to be humble. You got to humble yourself. And I try to humble myself and be humble as I can every day. So today, I just make a lot of meetings. And I'm so grateful that we have this Zoom platform to make all these meetings. I make meetings around the world. I make a lot of meetings. I make exactly about two two meetings a day, sometimes three or four, and the day is Sunday. So I uh, make a uh, meeting at 1230. It's a big book study. Every Sunday I make this, and we go through the big book line by line, maybe just a paragraph and people share. And then at 530 afternoon from Georgia, I read for a big book study there, and I try to make as many uh, literature meetings as I can so I can understand this fellowship a little better. You know, it's gotten better, you know, and I do understand it. I don't know. I'm not saying I know it all, but I do understand it a little better every day. I try to absorb something and put something in my life so I can use it in my everyday life. And I do go to a, a tradition meeting, too. Every Wednesday night, we have a tradition meeting where one person do like one and two, that person do that tradition, uh, three and four, somebody might do that. And every Wednesday I go to this tradition, and that's my home group in my tradition. So I can learn about these traditions, you know, and learn what to do and not to do. I remember going to the meeting, and this guy would move around and stuff. So I asked this guy, I said, why is this guy, why these people just don't sit down and pay attention? Why do I got to keep getting up and moving around? He said, Betty, when you come in here, some people are sick and they take medication and they got to move around because I didn't understand. He said, thank God you don't have to do that. Just look at that, that you don't have to do that. I said, okay. So I understand it. Now some are sick with other, you know, but people have to take medication. I understand that. So therefore, I go to meet and uh, the lady that took me to 164 pages of this big book, she would always start off with the set aside prayer. I might not have got it right when I say it, you know, and she always would share something for me. And a friend of mine named Corinne, she's no longer with us. She told me, Betty, let's go to uh, Harlem to this lady. And uh, she took us through the big book, 164 pages in the big book in the city. And she shared a lot of good information with us, you know, what to do and what not to do, you know. And she said, Betty, you have to get a God of your understanding, you know, because people will fear you. But this God, you got to lean on this God because he'll see you through everything. And in this big book, you know, it's a solution and you can solve all this, to solve all your problems. Because when I first came here and my other sponsor, my first sponsor, she told me to read the big book. I called myself reading. I didn't know what I was reading. I didn't understand it. And she told me I couldn't sleep when I first got here. I couldn't sleep at night. So she told me to open a big book up by random open the pages and start reading. And I did that, and I would fall asleep. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love this program. They say you get here when you're supposed to get here. I wish I had known a long time ago and listened to what the people told me, but I didn't. But I got here when I'm supposed to get here. And I'm just grateful that I'm here. And my life is truly different. It is a change, and I see the change. You know, I've changed in a lot of areas of my life, you know. I did that uh, inventory, you know. And I had to take a look at myself and what part I played in and correct the things, you know. And my lady, Donna, that took me through the 164 pages of the big book, she shared things with me that when she did her 
because uh, I told her when I was doing it in the, in the, the part where you owe money and I owed the internal revenue a couple thousand dollars. She said, I said, she said, no, that's not your money. That's their money. You have to pay them. And she told me that she got on the plane because she owed this lady some money in Arizona or somewhere out that way, Colorado, somewhere. And her sister called and told her she saw this lady. And she said she took a plane out there and paid that lady and got back on the plane and came back home and said, wow. So this program definitely we we do it a day at a time, you know. I'm so grateful that I'm here, and I'm grateful that I could have come in here and make these meetings and see all you guys. And my first sponsor, she introduced me to a lot of conferences and stuff like that. She introduced me to the Women to Women conference. We just went there a couple of weeks ago, and it was great in White Plains, New York. And she introduced me to the International World Convention. And I went in Seattle, Washington. I saw all these people, and they signed my big book. And, uh, you know, I just saw uh, people that I know from my home here in New York. They was there, too, and I felt good. And then all the standing up there, thousands of people, you know, arena standing up there saying the Lord's Prayer. It was so powerful, you know. And I'm grateful that I had experience with that, you know. And it's just a day at a time. And... I just, uh, my family is very uh, supportive of me. You know, they're glad that I'm here. They don't never ask me why I have to keep going to these meetings and stuff like that. When I go home, I'm planning on going home uh, next Sunday. I'm leaving. I'm going to Florida. My youngest daughter lives in Florida. And from Florida, we're going to Louisiana because my sister, we're going to have Thanksgiving with my sister. And uh, it's uh, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, rather, I used to go to this football uh, place. Uh, Grambling University used to play Southern University, and it was a big thing. We used to dress up and have fun there. But I told my grandson, he called me and said, Grandma, I said, well, I'm getting us some tickets so we can go to the football game. I said, for real? He said, yeah. I said, I was thinking about that. I was going to call my nephew and ask him to get some, but he got us some tickets. So I will go to that, and I'm very glad. I am glad five minutes. Thank you. And I'm very glad that I could do that. Uh, you know, that's one of my high school events that I used to go to. And I just uh, had my family up here in May. I celebrated my 82nd birthday. I had an 82nd birthday party. And my family came from Louisiana with some friends. My baby brother, my sister came with some friends. My niece came, and she's now here in New York going to college for a lawyer. And my daughter from Florida came with my grandson, Christopher, and his daughter. And our son, Ryan, came from Ohio, where he had a set of twins, but they didn't come, but his oldest son came. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, lived with me and her grand and her daughter. And my grandson from Pennsylvania, he came with his two daughters. And I had a lot of other family and friends that came. All the people that I used to hang out in the bar, I invited them to, and they was there too. <laughs> so it's not many of us left that I used to hang out and party with. But I'm just grateful to be alive and grateful that God woke me up this morning and kept me through the night with my family from and saved me from all harm. Okay, so I'm grateful for that. And we had a lot of fun, you know. And we always get together. Every year, every two years, we go on a family vacation and we go different places, different states. And I'm grateful that I could do that with my family, you know. And we have a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going home for Thanksgiving, you know, and meeting my family down there and having fun with them, you know, and doing a couple of things, you know. I'm just grateful because, like they say, we're not a grown lot. We do have fun, and we party. We partied uh, 
last weekend. We parted, you know. And I said, wow, every weekend it seemed like we're going to a party. You know, we parted. And then on the job, they're getting the Christmas party together, but we're going to a restaurant. You know, but I'm thinking about that. I don't know if I want to go or not because it's going to be a Thursday night. And Friday, you got to get them and go to work. So I don't know about that. But anyway, I have a lot of fun. And then I'm in the process of retiring. Everybody say, you going to retire for real? I say, for real, I'm going to retire. I'm looking forward to retiring and getting my paperwork together. Um, in January, I've been on my job 58 years because they gave me a package deal. In 2013, I was there 48 years, and I went back. I stayed out of the year, and I went back, and I volunteered because I always wanted to give back. So I volunteered, you know. And after volunteer, I came, and uh, I was for them in the same place that I was. And the secretary said, Ben, why don't you come? Because one of the guys uh, went upstairs. He had three days a week. Why don't you come and work with us? Because all the, uh, all the supervisors stuff had left. And it's nobody here. You know, they know the job. Like, you want you come back and help us out? So I said, okay. So I work three days a week. And I'm grateful that I could, I'm able to do that, working three days a week. And uh, I do that. And they, they let me do what I want to do in a sense. You know, if I have to go to a doctor and stuff like that, appointments, stuff like that. I try to work around my work schedule, stuff like that. And my health is pretty good. I'm in pretty good shape so far. Sometimes my walking is a little difficult with my legs, sciatic pain in my leg. But other than that, I'm all right. And I'm grateful that I'm able to go back the way. But all my friends, you need to retire. You need to retire. Yeah, I know. I have a friend told me, she said, Ben, you know, you know when it's time to retire. I say, I know what you mean. You know, you know. But I think uh, 58 years is enough. This guy uh, worked the job. He passed away last couple of weeks ago. I experienced something I never experienced in my life. I went to two funerals in one day. One of the guys was in the fellowship. He passed away. And at 3 o'clock was his service. Then I had to be at 6 o'clock for this guy's service. They worked on a job 55 years. Me and this guy and two other ladies, it's the longest people on the job. And they're building a new wing on the job. And they asked us to sign the beam. So my signature is on a new beam with him. But he passed away. But I'm grateful to be here. And I'm grateful that I could share I didn't think I could talk this long, but I'm grateful that I did. Thank you for allowing me to share. And wait, just for anybody new or coming back or have a problem with this program, it definitely works. We do it one day at a time, six times a month at a time. Just take the suggestion and get your sponsor and join a home group and make meetings and questions at questions and get somebody to take you through the big book of Alcohol Anonymous. Thank you for allowing me to share. That's it. Thank you, Miss Betty. From Jamaica Presentation, her home group in New York City. Thanks for joining us on Two Sober Chicks, and thank you for continuing to listen to all the great speakers from AA that we bring to you each week. Have a great 24.